Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles was back this week or month. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. And uh, Thank you. Yeah, and welcome to, and all of you, welcome to a very special episode of um, Two Teach Talk. This is number 121. Uh, Charles and I get together to talk about teaching. And today it's going to be a, a two-part uh, experience here. First, we're going to rehash uh, last month's discussion with um, Allison Kitzman uh, regarding needs analysis. Um, and inevitably, um, we're going to be talking about how the um, coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus is um, affecting all of us, uh, specifically how, how it's affecting us teaching uh, in Japan and um, trying to kind of make sense out of how our whole world is suddenly very, very different than it was before. <laughs> yeah. So it's a different world. So we're recording on the 28th, right? Correct. So please keep in mind that this is such a, I mean, this is really a fluid situation. It's really changing day by day. So that anything we say today will probably be out of date by the time you listen to this neck in the coming week. But we're going to try our best to provide information that will be not just timely, but will be effective over the next couple of weeks. No, we're going to try. <laughs> we're, we're, going to do, we're going to do our best yeah, here. Because things changing day by day, hour by hour. Yes. And in a lot of cases, minute by minute. <laughs> and we'll get to well, that. Well, I think I mentioned to you, Tony, I was just looking at the numbers. And so what did I say? Something like 24%? Yeah. 24% of all the um, cases in Japan have come up in the last four days. So, so the can, next four days are going to be very different than the last four days. Well, right. I mean, we can we can begin to imagine, but it's going to be again, just like this week and the week before it. It's a it's a different world. Okay, well, we'll get we'll into get into that. that. Yeah, let's kind of um, needs analysis. Needs analysis. Why don't you do a brief summary? Okay, of what you and Allison talked yeah. about, and then I'll give you just some you know basic reactions, and then we'll move on to dealing with what's happening in the world. Yeah. Okay. So um, our interview or a discussion, it, it kind of underscored what I always think about when I think about needs analysis. It's uh, kind of like the the story of the five blind men and the elephant. Well, there's variations The three blind men, four men. Um, everyone's got uh, a different um, perspective on it based on their own experience and observations, but it means something different to everybody else. And uh, we tried to narrow that down a little bit. I don't know how successful we were on that, but um one of the things we did agree on is how um, rarely um, it's actually done or used or put into place. Um, it's, you know, I, I said it seems like that should be a given with any kind of curriculum planning, syllabus planning, but it's often not done. Um, Allison talked a lot about motivational theory, a strong theory, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and um, also introduced the um, idea of satisfiers and destroyers, uh, um, ideas of Max Neef, and uh, tied all that together pretty closely with, uh, with um, student motivation. So um, <clears throat> the idea of needs analysis, not only a, a planning tool, but also as an instructional tool. Uh, that you can you know, that you, you use needs analysis not only for your planning, but also it can play a very big role in uh, student motivation. And uh, she talked at length about how, um, with her continual um, needs analysis in the classroom, 
but she was kind of withholding on details uh, of exactly what she does. Um, but uh, with her goals of um, making the learning uh, more autonomous for the students, more personalized, um, and how it can be, how that needs analysis can be useful in uh, avoiding destroying motivation, um, which I kind of jumped on too, because um, motivating students is uh, a big thing, but there's all kinds of little things that we can do to avoid uh, killing motivation and uh, having that uh, framework of what the student's needs are in the back of your mind can sometimes help you out there. Um, in terms of specifics, um, she talked about um, getting students involved and uh, in the actual consideration of their needs, right? Uh, explain to them or help them understand somehow why they should be learning English, how they can benefit from it. Um, exactly what is it for them that's important there? Um, leading toward kind of more intrinsic motivation. <clears throat> but, and I countered it and she agreed that like a lot of times, well, students don't know what they need. Uh, and, and so one of the things that we need to do is to teach them how to get involved and teach them how to create their own goals. Um, and also in what we do in the classroom to be more aware of students as individuals, when we talk about differentiated learning, we've talked about that. You and I have talked about it a lot in the, in the past. Um, but to keep that um, individual aspect in mind when um, identifying and uh, setting goals. I think that kind of gets it all to, as much as I can in a in a in a small package. What do you think? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> insights, <laughs> Charles. Insights. I Educate us. Yes, I you do. Not, share, no. share, share. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start with a disclaimer. People who have listened to this podcast or actually have heard me complain know that I have a real bug about motivation. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to stand with it again, that I think that the emphasis on motivating students is just removing responsibility from the student and putting that onto the teacher, as if it's the teacher's job to put something in that is not there. And I'm going to kind of echo something Allison said. She told, you know, when explaining about knowing how to do something. I remember when I was being interviewed for a job and one of the professors asked me, and this is one of those interviews where, you know, there's like 10 people in a, you know, U-shaped kind of, you know, set of tables and you're in the center and it's like, gee, is this what a kangaroo court feels mm-hmm. like? And one of the professors said, how do you motivate students to learn English who aren't motivated at all? And I actually said this in an interview. I said, I said, you know, Sensei, if I knew the answer to that question, do you really think I'd be sitting here or would I be drinking margaritas in, in you know, Tahiti <laughs> or something? And I think that, um, that question is an absurd question. And so I want to, you know, say that I think that Allison kind of was hinting at this or kind of circling. And this is something I've said before, which is that, well, let me start, let me rephrase for a second. If we're going to really do a needs analysis, I don't think we have to come to a needs analysis from motivation. What I think we need to do is if we're doing a needs analysis, that one of the ways might be to actually say, what if we assume that, our, and I've said this before, what if we assume that our students are actually rational agents? You know, and I did agree with, uh, you know, that the, I think economists are doing some of the most interesting education research right now. But let's assume that students are actually 
rational agents. They're making a cost-benefit analysis. For example, you know, I've never learned English. I've never been good at English. I'm not going to need it. I'm not going to really improve. Why should I make any effort here? I just need to get the units. And instead of saying, how do I motivate that person to learn? You have to look at it and say, hey, wait a second, maybe this person's actually made a sensible decision. And so one of the ways to approach it, I think, is to, and this kind of goes with those satisfiers, destroyers, in a sense, is the needs analysis actually has to look at what kind of decisions or what kind of analysis has the student made in terms of justifying how much or how many resources are actually going to direct to your class. That's one thing. The second thing is I think we have to actually define that there's a significant difference between needs analysis for general ed classes and needs analysis for major classes, because you have such a different group of students with different wants, desires, needs, uh, ah, motivations. There you go. So I think most of us are looking at needs analysis for GE classes because the majority of us are teaching first year and second year general ed English classes. So that would be another thing. Uh, I think that there's also the institutional needs analysis where we've talked about this, where different schools, different institutions have their own environments, almost like their own ethos, their own uh, atmosphere. And the needs analysis has to be part of that. I think that we might want to, um, something Allison was talking about got me thinking, which is that maybe needs analysis needs to be renamed needs matching, figuring out how we can match the needs of the students to the needs that we are supposed to achieve and accomplish. And, you know, the thing that really jumped at me, Tony, and it's something I've struggled with, but you and Allison discussed the maturity level of Japanese students and how different that is. Um, and I've noticed that, for example, when I've gone to visit my daughter, you know, gone to the school where she, the international school where she goes to, and th the juniors and seniors at that school are just, you know, there's a, it's like, wow, this is really surprising. And when I go back to the States, I'm also amazed when I meet high school students and the levels of maturity there. But I think that there is a dissonance between their psychological development and what I'm going to call, for lack of a better term, uh, cognitive acquisition, uh, that who, where they are emotionally and psychologically is does not really match up with how much knowledge they've actually gained. And that that mismatch is an important thing that the needs analysis has to deal with, which is, hey, how do I take a kid who basically has learned a lot of information, especially if I compare math knowledge that, that my students have to what I, I would see in, let's say, an American um, first year, you know, freshman student, I think is pretty different. but that the psychological awareness, the understanding of what it means to be a student, how to be a student, how to um, act in the classroom, be in the classroom, seems radically different. So I think those are things that have to be done in the needs analysis that I was reacting to what Allison said. And then, of course, when Allison said that, uh, I think you asked Tony at one point, you said, well, okay, how do we do this? How do we do the needs analysis? And Allison said, oh, she'll leave that to you and I for figuring it out. And that just, 
you know, was again, really making clear to me uh, that there is a real problem. There is such a gap between knowing what to do and figuring out how to do it. And I think that's maybe something we want to talk about at this point, which is, you know, what do you do for your needs analysis? And what do I do or how do I approach needs analysis? But that's, I think, my general thing. I thought, um, and it was really helpful, Allison, I thought, gave us like the history of motivation, you know, and, uh, you know, in a what, in like five minutes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the great mm -hmm. Cliff's Notes thing. That was a great summary that was really helpful and really brought me up to speed on things. I'm grateful for that. But, oh, before I, I turn it over to you, the thing that also, while I was listening to you and Allison talk, was the idea almost in a sense that the needs analysis was almost um, at a predetermined end. It was almost like, you know, there was a tautology here that it was working towards an end of how do we get students to learn the most or how do we get students to accomplish the goals of the school. And I'm wondering whether or not there's such a thing as open-ended and closed-ended needs analysis, where I say, hey, you know, I have to teach my students X, Y, and Z by the end of the semester, so my needs analysis then is informed by that and is determined by that, versus saying, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to really accomplish. Let me see where the students are. Let me see what their needs are. And then I will build my, you know, objectives and goals from that. So on that note, I think I'm going to stop and end it and let you take it from here. But before, terms of I was hoping you were saying this, like, on that note, we're going to kick the can down the road. <laughs> but um, before you hand off to me, um, so that, uh, thanks you know, for your insights and your analysis of, of the interview. <coughs> but f uh, without too much detail and getting too long, um, when, how about you? Um, what do, how do you handle needs analysis for your classes. Okay. Well, <clears throat> briefly, <laughs> briefly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, so I think this is, a, this is probably a topic that we're going to need to revisit farther down the road. Cause I was we, hoping you've got a go big first. topic today. Yeah. Well, I was hoping you were going to go first, but okay, let me, I'll begin by saying that, you know, the part where you and Allison talked, the students don't know what they need. Right. To learn. Right. Exactly. Okay. I start from that, which is, I'm sorry, you do not know what you need to learn. Right. Um, that would be like me going into an introductory literature class and the teacher saying, what do you want to read? And my attitude would be, well, I'm here because you know what I should read. You know where I should start from. So I go in with the assumption, I'm sorry, most of my students do not are not in a position to know what is best for them. So, and I will stand by that and any criticism that comes with it. I don't think they've given their educational background and the, you know, the cultural aspects you and Allison talked about that they are, even if they knew they would not be able to actually say it to us. Yeah. I think we, so we, I, we covered that and we said that in the, you, at the very beginning. Yes. Yeah, right. So like, yeah. You no guys way. covered that. Yeah. Well, right. No way it's going to happen. And, and you know, like the critical thinking thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so I start with that assumption that, after teaching for so many years, I actually do have a clear idea of what they actually should be learning. So I start with that bias. And since I know that, you know, there are things I want, which is, um, for example, I'm how to use English more as a tool to accomplish things rather than English just for the purpose of communicating and conversation. I think we've, you know, talked about how I think writing is more important than speaking right now. And now I think it's more important to learn how to write for machine translation, blah, blah, blah. That my needs analysis is kind of 
um, in one school, it's actually kind of done for us because they stream the students using a placement test. And then they basically tell us what they expect us to teach. And I basically, on the first day, I will put students together in groups and have them generate, for example, depending on the level. Let's say I'm at a school where I know that students might have what I'll call middle-level English. I'll have them in groups generate questions that they have about the class or subjects that they're interested in and topics that they're interested in and have them work in groups two or three times and then have them submit those papers to me. And that gives me a general sense of where they're at. That gives me an idea at least about writing ability, et cetera. Um, the other thing I, I do, which is something you've mentioned, which is, you know, I tell some jokes. Watch how many people react, how many people get the joke. Um, in other words, most of my needs analysis is informal, except for vocabulary checking. I do want to know how many of the first 2,000 words, most frequent 2,000 words my students have, because that determines everything for me in terms of, let's say, do they need work with graded readers? How much are they going to understand? I find that correlates very well to general English ability. As for the needs analysis of, you know, what do you want to do in the class? Um, you know, what are your interests? I've shied away from that a lot because in most of the classes um, where I teach, I don't have that much freedom. For example, I teach a technical writing class. I have to teach technical writing. I teach a academic presentations course for graduate students, and that's to help them get ready for giving presentations. I teach a independent English learning, where they have to learn skills to be independent English learners, presentations, right? So I think in a lot of ways, I've actually cut down the amount of needs analysis compared to what I used to do. And that's, again, because of, uh, you know, the ability of the students. And honestly, I got 15 weeks. I'm meeting with the students 90 minutes, one time a week. Um, I'm going to give up one class for needs analysis. I'm down to 14. So. I tend to make a lot of assumptions, but most of my needs analysis is actually looking at just general English ability and how much are they going to be able to, I think, achieve, and then how do I either level up or level down, easify um, the plan that I have. How about you? I don't think that mine is maybe that different. Um, like you, um, there's there's so many different kinds of classes that I teach and how, how I handle needs analysis for each one is all very different. Each university is different. It's a writing class. It's a reading class. It's an oral communication class. All those require different approaches. Um, like, like you, a lot of the classes that uh, I taught in the past, I had a lot more freedom um, in their design and, their, and execution. Um, generally, I've got a lot less of that now. So there are more restrictions. Um, but yeah, the university, the level of students, um, whether they're English majors or not, is basically an advanced class, first year students, second year students, and so, so on. Um, and, but in any case, before you meet the students, um, there are some uh, things that can't be changed or, or shouldn't be changed or somehow are not supposed to be changed, um, goals, restrictions, so forth and so on. But after I meet the students and whatever, again, the details of exactly what I do or how I do it, um, assess what their needs are, what their abilities are, and uh, look at the goals, um, I have to sit down and do very honestly and say, okay, maybe 
Um, are those goals realistic or do the, the goals need adjustment? And often, often they do. So then once I can kind of guess, and I'll call it a guess, educated guess, perhaps, but it's a guess, it's estimation. It's, it's a, it's my best call of what the realistic goal is. Um, I have to sit down and really look at myself and look at the materials that I've got, look at the kids and it's like, okay, what route is most likely to result in success? You know, what kind of tasks, what kind of activities, assignments, uh, teaching approach, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, cobble together um, a plan uh, for the class. And um, something else that, that, that you hinted at. Um, and right, yeah, it's, it's not one of the, the first class given to like needs analysis, um, but something that I really, you know, realized again, or you know, kind of came to the surface in, in the interview with Allison, um, is that uh, needs analysis is, is a process. It's not a one-time thing. And it's something that happens throughout the semester. Um, constant adjustment, um, modifications to everything, possibly, you know, the, the way that you teach, the level at which you teach, what you're using for materials and so forth and so on. Sometimes you have to let the students teach you how they need to be taught or how they can be taught. Um, and the other, you know, kind of, again, realization is that uh, needs assessment is not only um, about goal achievement, and I'm making a, a distinction here, but it's also a tool that can improve your week-to-week teaching. And I'm making a, it's a distinction to what I think is valid, um, achieving the, the stated goal of the class, like you said, like technical writing and so forth. Um, but in individual classes along the way, um, there's all different kinds of experiences and high points and low points and learning opportunities that can uh, come up. So. For example, uh, in a you know, more advanced class where um, we're talking about uh, personal relationships, um, if the class is up for it, well, they get a little dose of uh, Plato's Cave and Platonic Forms <laughs> and on and on as, as part of the definition of a Platonic relationship. Hey, where does that come from? You guys ever heard of Plato? Okay, here we go. Um, that gets put in or not <laughs> depending on whether on, on on the students that I've got and what the rest of the class looks like, you know, the, the curriculum and syllabus and so forth. So it's ongoing and it, it may be a direct, a step toward a, a defined goal or maybe not. It's just one of those old fashioned liberal arts education things. Well, I think that one thing that can be said that's true of anything in teaching is you never do anything just once. Right. You never just teach the thing one time. You never just do the review one time and you don't do your needs analysis one time. It's formative and it's ongoing. And I think that's an important point. I'm, but I'm looking at what happens for the teacher. Maybe who doesn't have so much experience walking in on their first day, trying to handle Uh. everything. And what do you do to get your head around this class? And, you know, there's also the other thing that I think that anyone who's taught knows is that there's a needs analysis, needs assessment, or um, just a general assessment you make as soon as you walk in that door on the first day of the class. <laughs> you kind of go... You got that 10 seconds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, got the, you, know, you know that 10 seconds where you kind of go, good morning, yeah, and it's like, oh, you're going to know God. right away. Not, you're going to know yes. this is going to be... Ah. You know, you, yeah, right? at that first 10 seconds. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I think that one of the things to do is that you have to look at your tools. Most of um, the needs assessment is it's an ideal thing that basically has traditionally, I think, been used with people who are, you know, um, your stakeholders where who can articulate what they want and what they need. And we're asking our students to tell us what they want, not only in a different language, with a different approach to even saying what you want. Remember I told you that I was a, um, I had been thinking about doing that experiment where I would ask students if they wanted to go on the A track, the B track, the C track. Yep. I think we've discussed uh, yep, this, right? Yep, yep. On the podcast. Yep. And, uh, you know, students do A, that means they have to do more work. Students do the B track, students do the C track. So I went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to try this out and do it. And so I asked all my students, do you want to do the A track, the B track, or the C track? And 100% said they wanted to do the A track. <laughs> huh. And naturally, half of them did not do half of the work. Of course. But they all chose the A track. How interesting. So, as I said, you know, you know that there's people will say that Japanese students, I think I've said this before, that Japanese students are not creative, but I've come to the conclusion that my Japanese students are unbelievably creative when it comes to like totally messing with my perfect systems. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that that might be enough for needs analysis for so. right now. We'll yeah. be coming back to it. Yeah, and some future really grateful. episode we'll, we'll get yeah, into the right. Well, tank. I think there's a second interview. Right? I'm sorry, but there's also a second interview with Allison. Yeah, I right? can't remember what that's about. Okay, but it's not but related. Different. It's different. It's not related to needs analysis. Okay, so we have to come back to this. But actually, it's an appropriate tool right now because if ever you've needed a needs analysis, it's right now, correct? I guess this is actually pre-need. I don't know what this is. This is this is unprecedented. So I okay. Blah. So there's no need to even introduce what's going on. So let's kind of get into what we're um, hoping to do. As we talked about before, Tony, is just to give people some general um, information about what's been going on for us so that people can see how we're dealing with it. And then basically talking about how we're going to approach all the different ways that all the different schools are approaching how to cope with uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Okay. And so, for, right? yeah. And yeah. And so for listeners in the future, assuming that there will be a future, um, what we're dealing with right now is a, this is uh, going to be a, a, a out and published, whatever it's called. Um, it's going to drop on April 1st, uh, 2020. And uh, here, those of us here in Japan are teaching. We are looking at the beginning of a spring semester. And uh, the beginning of that spring semester is um, in chaos uh, because obviously in, in dealing with the pandemic, um, schools are unsure what to do. They're delaying uh, beginnings. Uh, they're suggesting alternate teaching methods. Um, the decisions are all coming very late. <clears throat> uh, the teachers are um, pretty much at a loss as to exactly what the next few weeks are going to hold. So here we are, Charles and I, um, talking about that and uh, how some how what we're supposed to do. And um, you know, we're here not talking as two experts. This is something that Charles um, mentioned um, in, in in preparation for this. Is like, no, we're just. We're just two guys looking, for, <laughs> searching for answers too. Um, we're not here to tell you what you're supposed to do, or we don't have the answers. We're we're struggling and to cope just the way that you are, and uh, we're just kind of 
opening the door and you can watch us <laughs> crumble here <laughs> on the air. I've already crumbled, so yeah, I, I, it's up to you to take care of that. That's um, I, yeah, you tell that it's a difficult time for a lot of people. Um, it seems so far that in Japan, we've gotten away with a lot less cases and a lot less tragedy than many, many other countries. Although I do know that in the last four days, something like twenty-four percent of all reported cases in Japan have come up it's a bizarre timeline because japan was one of the first countries that was hit we remember with the the, the ship diamond princess which is diamond right. princess uh and some fallout from that and then it seemed <clears throat> as if um well the, everyone did everything right and there was it was kind of not that big of a thing until oddly, they canceled the olympics until they canceled <laughs> the olympics and suddenly the numbers have started jumping. And um, I was, it, it was, it's very interesting for me because I came back to Japan from the United States, from Chicago, uh, right around St. Patrick's Day. I, I arrived on, on, on March 17th. And um, that was just the point in the United States where things were hitting the fan and the panic was just setting in. So, for example, in Japan, the, the panic of the toilet paper panic started weeks before that, um, the hoarding, et cetera, et cetera. But then it, it subsided. Uh, in the United States, when, just about the time when I came, that was really when they were starting to lock things down, literally. Um, you know, stay home orders, um, orders to close restaurants, so forth and so on. Um, but the awareness was there. It was like, it was like short, like for three or four days. And when I, came back to Japan, to Osaka, and uh, ventured outside, I was um, um, shocked and um, frightened because it was business as usual. Everything was, nobody was, uh, aside from, the, of course, the, the, the masks everywhere, um, there weren't even that many of those because you, you, they can't be found anymore. Um, everybody, everybody's outside. and. There was like no like no social distancing. Um, restaurants were open. People lining up. For, and it's like this is not good. <laughs> um, it was pretty creepy. And um, I said, I really see a, a second wave here. And um, <clears throat> yes, and um, yeah, and some interesting observation with timing and things with the Olympics, uh, as I think Charles will want to talk about. <laughs> now I'm just sad that amongst all the people I know that was a commonly shared expectation is that if the Olympics were canceled the numbers would go up mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if that's cause effect or what the coincidence is or if they did cancel the Olympics once they figured out the numbers were going up or if there's a reporting thing I don't know but what I do know is that I felt exactly the same way you have I've tried to as much as possible, self-quarantine, um, you know, and I've, I guess I've had one of my spring colds for the last couple of weeks, you know, runny nose, um, some sneezing, a sore throat. And Allison's had and, her you, all, frequent bouts of bronchitis. Okay. And under these circumstances, I feel like I have to go over the top and be extra careful and just assume that, you know, I should not be going outside, not be riding trains, mm, for not sure. be meeting with people. 
And the amazing thing about this, um, when you talk about business as usual, is I haven't felt a lot of support from people outside of my family for that. You know, um, the belief that meetings should still be going on. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't, you know, if I go there, it just, it strikes me that my reaction has been that, you know, I'm like, you you guys are not taking this seriously enough. Mm. Right. Um, I think we're, you know, people have asked why has Japan's numbers been so low? And the only thing I can really think about is uh, mass culture, for lack of a better term. But I keep, by the way, I keep reading this thing where, I don't know how you feel about this, but I keep reading this thing where Japan has like this hand-washing culture or something. And I'm like, you guys have never gone to the restrooms <laughs> that I've seen where I see a lot, not enough hand-washing. But, um, oh, yeah, the PR and the reality here is, is, is always a, a sense amazing. of amusement for me. It's, 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 it's incredible. Right, right. Like, I mean, oh, go, down the, go, down the, go down the list, right? Hand-washing manners, respect for the aged, respect for teachers. <laughs> Just go down the list. What, what was that? Respect for teachers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, okay. So what we have here is a situation that most schools are in the process, or many schools have canceled the start of class and delayed classes. And... um by the way, you know, we were talking um, that there's there's not going to be any schools, I think, that are going to cancel the semester. Do you agree? Unless something really happens <laughs> in the next few weeks. Or the next couple hours or the next day. Um, yeah. No, it, it doesn't seem like any – at this point, it doesn't seem like any school is prepared or on track to cancel the spring semester. Which, which I think – which not Which wouldn't be an outrageous idea. Right. It seems somewhat reasonable knowing the way the rest of the world's work that it takes about three months. And you had a great s- insight, Charles. Let's 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 share uh, it. Yeah. You, yeah this yeah. is genius. I, I, I said this to my daughter and my wife, and I said, you know, Japan, at least I know like Tokyo University has been thinking about how to, you know, they can get on to, you know, joining the rest of the world in a false start. Well, just cancel all the classes. This is the perfect time to do that, right? Cancel the spring semester and say, look, you know, we're going to reset and start from the fall from now on and, you know, and figure out a way to deal with it. But it's not going to happen. But yeah. Wouldn't it yeah, be I nice? Good, I mean, wouldn't, I mean, would wouldn't it, that be so, I mean, it'd be so clear, right? Isn't that a Beach Boys song? Um, wouldn't yeah. it be nice? Yeah. If, yeah. If we were I'm not going to sing. We I'm definitely not going to sing yeah. on a podcast. The, the, yeah, the song we'll is wouldn't nice if we were older, and I don't think so. But, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, okay. um, yeah, that would, that would solve uh, so many problems. Um, yeah. Okay. It's, really, it's just really too bad. Okay. Really a missed opportunity. So what, yes, I think so too. So let's go through um, what have been the, um, what seems to be the way schools are dealing with it, right? One is that schools have not told us what they're doing. Right. That's a bunch of people I know who are still waiting. I'm to still find waiting out. a definitive word from one of my schools as to what they're going to do. Okay. So there's that situation, which has really got to be some of, one of the worst ones, okay? Yeah, it's the end the of March. Se- it's like, right. It's next week. Yeah, is April 1st. supposed to start classes. What, what, how, what, where am I? Am I not? Yeah. How? We don't know. Right. Okay, so there's that. Then the next one is the situation where schools have announced a delayed start. Correct. For example, they'll say that they will start classes April 20th. And that's true for most of my schools. That's what they've done. And I think that's wishful thinking, personally. You think you you foresee further pushback? I mean, adjustments, let's put it that way. Well, it just, I don't know. I'm not a, of course, obviously, 
I'm, I'm not. Well, a given the trend of the last, again, how fast, how quickly things change, given the trend of the last week or the last four days, um, yeah, that that's that position <laughs> seems much more likely than it did two or three days ago. Yeah, I think. Um, what is it? Something like in the last three days in Japan, three hundred extra cases mm-hmm. after you know, and that out of a total of fifteen hundred since when was the first? Uh, case identified in japan in january right i believe it might have been january for sure by february but maybe january okay so something's going on so i'm assuming it's wishful thinking especially if i look at all the other countries and it seems that it takes what it took china three months or so to get a grip on things so okay let's assume april so may june july end of the semester so wishful thinking but let's move away from making judgment calls so not knowing what's going on, delayed start, let's say May, first week of May, end of April. And then there's um, the other situation, which is start on time, but go to online teaching. Correct. Which... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so thank I, you. And I'm, I'm looking at that distinct possibility with the, with the one the, my fourth school that is... Uh... Has hasn't yet to announce anything. Ironically, the one that has the most drastic change suggested um, is the one that hasn't told us that that's a possibility yet. Yeah. Yes, and then there's the <sighs> final one, which is um, a place I teach that seems to have done it right. Hmm. They delayed the start until April twentieth, and then from April twentieth, the first three weeks of classes are taught online. And then they said they will reassess at that point. So what did they do? They said, we're going to delay the start of class. So you now have an extra three weeks to learn how to use the, learn how to use the online tools that we're going to be issuing or offering you the use of, right? Okay. Then you're going to teach the first classes for three weeks just to be extra safe. So by this point, now we're in the middle of May, right? And then we'll reassess. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice. And uh, let's not even get into the lack of transparency from the universities about even telling us that they were considering or keeping people up to date and saying, nope, we're still thinking about it. No change. Check back in another day or so, right? Mm -hmm. Total black box for most places, most people are telling me. True for you too? Yes. And of course, like zero requests for input or anything else. Right. Nobody asked us what, you know, they thought, you know, what, how, how would it, what would be the best situation for you? Because I would have said, okay, first off, you know, cancel until August, right? September or cancel until October, right? You know, start the semester there. And then the second one would be, oh, you know, I like this idea. Why don't we start classes at the beginning of May and give us time to learn how to use these online systems? Right. And so go from online for May and then hopefully by June, go back to normal classes. Worst case scenario, we'd like you to start teaching next week in person. Uh, No, thank you. (laughs) So, okay. So given that that's a situation, I think those are the options that are available to most people, correct? I think so. I don't think, but I don't know that any schools are, are saying show up and teach next week anymore. But again, that Except you still don't know. I still don't, you don't know. know. But One of your schools, you don't know if that's what they're going to ask you to do. Correct. Right? Okay. 
Um, I know that there are schools that are saying that they're going ahead with orientations. Yes. Um, placement tests yes. are happening next week. Yes. And it's like, you know, excuse me, really? Really? What's the point? What's the point, you know? Um, I think that's totally wrong. I can't believe that's actually occurring. Um, and that's my opinion. And I, I just think, well, if you're canceling and delaying classes, why are you going ahead and doing putting hundreds of students together in rooms in the midst of a, a pandemic? Which is which is hey, worse. Hey. Is it worse than a regular class? Because in the, cl- the classroom, we assume that you're not going to have hundreds of students. Most of us don't. You're going to have a much smaller number of people in contact with each other. When you have a placement exam or orientations, it's everybody together. And that's exactly what you want to avoid. And and you have massive amounts of communal touching of paper. Yeah. Oh, I was going to get to that later on. One person's passing. People are passing out papers to the students. The students are accepting it. Then you're picking it up. Then you're counting the papers. And you're jamming them onto trains because, as we know, (laughs) no university is ever located on an express stop. They're all on the local. And everyone's all jammed (laughs) together on those. And, oh, yeah, it just just cascades, right? Wait a second. That's a great trivia question. What university is city is located on an express train and stop and then follow the money from that university's president to the the president of the uh, train 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 line. They're brother in laws. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's what a great trivia question. Okay, so given all these things that are going on, right, Tony, and what. We, I want to address, and I, you and I have talked about this before, is that you and I are probably known amongst our colleagues as being reasonably adept at using tech. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? I would say so, yeah. Okay. And we've never taught online classes. <clears throat> That's true. Right? Because... Never taught... <laughs> Um, not ready for prime time. Um, it's, um, I mean, there's lots of, lots of... And I looked at a bunch in preparation for in that possibility that I'm going to have to be using these tools. I looked at a bunch of them. Um, and um, yeah, a lot of like, actually the most interesting ones, the one I shared with you, <clears throat> it was a kind of a, a webinar thing. And it was like two quote unquote experts are going to sh- teach people how to use these online classes, online teaching in their classes and one technical glitch after another. Yeah, did it? You, remember you sent me the yeah, link, and it's just like this one right? glitch after, and it's like, oh man! And then you, this is, and the these example. were the experts. These are the experts, and this is the example that you're supposed to use. It's like I wouldn't present that to my students ever. That's it, it was just so bad. Well, you sent me the link. Yeah. I went on, and within like a minute, it was glitching. <laughs> It was, you know, that skipping, stuttering video yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, screw this. This one's okay. This one's not a possibility. This isn't an option to use. Right. So, um, why don't we just go through what's available to people before we? Okay, I'll, I'll make go through the comments. ones that I looked at, and then you've got a couple that you want to add. I think because I don't have those. Um, well, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. So, um, one which is um, just, and a lot of these services have made themselves available for free temporarily. Yes. A lot of them are in their normal state are quite expensive. Um, One is Otter, 
It's like the animal, O-T-T-E-R. Otter AI, right? Uh, and yes, and it's an audio recording of meetings, discussions. Okay, so it's just audio. Just audio, but simple, more reliable. If you can find a use for it, it could be useful. Um, the the big the big guy in the room, which a lot of the universities are kind of jumping on, and it, it's popular, um, is Zoom. Tony, can I interrupt you for just sure. a second? Because um, you didn't mention one of the main, really amazingly cool things about Otter okay, AI. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry. It's a meeting thing, but it does in time, real time transcription. Yes. Highly yes, accurate yes, okay. transcription. Yeah. You have a recording of what's being said. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's on, it works really well on, I, on phones. I've used it um, when I've been talking in like a lecture. Mm-hmm. And while I'm talking, it's up on the screen. So students are listening. It's, um, that's the, the big advantage. That's and nice. Keep, yeah. Keep that one in mind because that's one of the really important tools I think people should be using. Okay, go and you ahead. can Sorry. use it in ordinary teaching as well. Um, again, for lecture type classes, um, really useful because then who needs a handout? Right, right. <laughs> who needs and to take notes? And, and ah, hey, students are happy. Newspaper, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. And the big, the big guy, the big dog is Zoom. Right. Which is um, video conferencing. What you want to think about is. Um, I hate to use a cliche, but the hell, we're short on time. Um, Skype on steroids. Um, you have multiple people, um, video, voice at the same time. Um, again, for like for small classes, you got like an like a eight-person Zemi. Yeah, you could probably do that. I've got, you know, 40, 45 kids in the class. It's not going to help me much. Um, in, except for its recording features, maybe to record a lecture, but, you know, I can just do that in quick time. Um, but that's the big one, and a lot of and a lot of schools are kind of pushing Zoom. Um, Canvas, um, which is more of a big, heavy duty tool uh, for larger that's a more scale learning LMS, online learning classes. Yes, system. like so you want to yeah. build a whole online class, like a whole LMS. Canvas is a real popular one. Um, Blackboard is another one, like can like Canvas. It's uh, you create. Lectures and for class distribution, et cetera, et cetera. Blackboard is also popular. Um, Moodle, which some people already have at their universities. We did a whole, or you actually did a whole uh, discussion with George, George Truscott and- And Bill White. And Bill White. Um, it's, it's episode 80. That's November 1st, uh, 2016. Um, and you, if you want to tell you about like a bunch of tech heads talking about how difficult tech can be <laughs> that's a really good one um one uh tool that really um impressed me it was it like a lot of potential called parlay yes you sent that to me that looks pretty good yeah the teacher creates a prompt and the basic materials and the students read it share their reactions and thoughts with each other and interact with each other um, yeah, I don't know that I'd be able to learn it and put it together like in th- four days, but, uh, it looked like it had a lot of potential, um, for like, you know, to, like, again, to add to your regular classes in normal times, um, something called Google classroom, which I just ran up into wall because it, the, the school has to, has to have it uh, for security and privacy reasons. The school, if it's, if you're using it for students in the school, it's got to be from the school and it's got to have the school policies, et cetera, et cetera. Looked really good. Very useful, but, um, I can't use it. And, um, 
uh, and you've got some more tools. Well, I was going to mention Teams. Um, Microsoft Teams, yeah. which I, which again has um, doesn't have to be through schools. I think you can actually do individually. Um, and I did trial that with three of my seminar students. Okay, um, I think that Skype is there uh, is another thing we've talked about. Socrative, yes, as another tool, um, and I'm talking about. Other than Microsoft Teams, I'm talking about solute. You know, these are little apps that do one thing, rather than something like Moodle or Microsoft Teams that does many things. Right, right, right. Right, and you know, this actually. So let, let's get into it, right, Tony? Let's address this issue right away. Um, try maybe hopefully, and we can make the podcast not as long as it's going to go. If you've never used Moodle, if you've never used Blackboard, did Blackboard, by the way, make itself free to individuals? Not sure. Okay. If you've never used Blackboard, if you've never used Moodle, if you've never used Microsoft Teams, you're looking at a pretty good learning curve. Yep. Canvas also, right? Yep. Okay. I, and this is this is from two tech guys. Yeah, two nerds. Yeah, it's yeah. Th- these are not something that you can learn in an afternoon. Right. I spent two days on Microsoft Teams and uh, then tested it with people and still have issues and had to email tech support at my university to say, why is this going on? And why have you limited this way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If your school is at... Now, Zoom, on the other hand, is relatively easy because it's like Skype. It's just video conferencing. Otter AI, also very easy to get your head around, okay? But, yeah, yeah. The, both of those are pretty pretty simple. Yeah. And so my suggestion to most people is if the school says to you, we want you to teach online, okay, and they give you a choice, then I'm going to do what I always say, which is use the simplest tools to get the job done. Absolutely. And do not try to get your head around Moodle and do not try to get your head around Canvas. Um, Parlay is not too bad. But here's the other thing that the schools haven't actually addressed to me, which is I teach some freshman classes. These students are coming out of high school. They have limited access to the schools. They're not going to even be able to use the school's network. Right. They may never have used Moodle. They have never, probably, no, probably they've not used Moodle. They have not used a learning management system. They may not have a and computer at home. A lot of them won't have a computer at home. A so phone, but no computer. it's not only a matter of how difficult it is for you. I'm approaching it this way, which is what's the easiest set of tools that I can combine, put together that my students are familiar, will be from, or my future students or current students are familiar with, that'll get the job done. And, so and, and first, just, just, let me add another little bit onto that. Just, just when I was getting going. Go ahead. Go, go. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. First year student, how many classes do they have? Right. <laughs> 13, 14, 15? Okay. Okay, go. Now, <laughs> some of the schools are asking that you do the classes in real time. Real time online teaching is difficult because it's basically going to turn into what? A lecture. It's got to be a lecture. Way. Here's the reality. Here's the reality, right? In a situation where... Um, it's difficult to manage the tech and manage the situation, and the more, more complexity there is to a situation, 
the more likely people are to revert to minimal expectations and minimal goals and objectives and using the easiest tools. So what's going to happen? Somebody's going to go on, they've they have basic familiarity using a computer. They've never done an online class. They're going to lecture. Now, how do you lecture for an oral communication class? Well, that's Tony? that's my dilemma. Right. <laughs> that, I okay. mean, that's what I'm looking at. I have no okay. idea. And it's not like I had my classes are like 10 or 15 students. They're not. I mean, a lot of my classes are more than 40 students. Right. Real time? So, oral communication? 45 people? Huh? Okay. So you ha first have to assume that things are complicated and students have to get familiarity with the system. And But you're going to spend easily the first class. Here's my prediction. Your first online class is going to be spent dealing with um, Murphy. Just flailing, yes. <laughs> and dealing with all the problems. If you show me anybody who has been able to, you know, you know the thing where somebody starts their PowerPoint presentation, they go, okay, just give me a minute here while I fix this problem, <laughs> right? Did you ever see, by the way, there was this one guy who who did a, a, a parody of what would have happened if uh, Abraham Lincoln had given the Gettysburg Address using PowerPoint? Did not or, see that you know, one, no. like slide software? It was a scream, you know? Four score and uh, just hold on a second, will you please? <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's going to be bandwidth issues, I think. Sure. Okay. So given all of those things, again, I would suggest to people, unless the school requires you to use a specific thing, and if they give you certain freedom, go simple. I'm going to ask my schools if it's okay for me. First off, for communication, I'm going to use line because all the students know line. That's how, and you can make line groups so you can get information out. You set up line groups. The students are familiar with line. They can share information with line. They can communicate with line. Okay. Number two, most of them are familiar with Twitter. Most of the students I know use Twitter. They know line, they use Twitter. So if I need to do texting communication information, even during a, um, let's say, a real time lecture, I would have the students online. For your lectures, if you can record them, I would suggest you use YouTube because all the students know YouTube. Getting a YouTube account is not so difficult. It's actually took me reading everything, understanding it, and maybe four clicks and filling in a Gmail account, let's say 10 minutes. So you can use YouTube to distribute. Um, for assignments, in-class quizzes, etc., I'm going to go with Google Forms. Very easy to embed a link on, to give a link to students. So Google Forms for doing assignments. And here's something I, I definitely would suggest to people is set up just a simple class website. There is a thing called um, CARD, C-A-R-R-D dot C-O, that has one of the simplest, easiest web makers I've seen. They allow you to make um, 10 websites for free without opening an account. And if you wanted like 20 websites, I think it costs something like 20 bucks a year. Um, can you um, give us that URL again? Well, it'll go into the, on the webpage. Right. But it was, but it's card with two R's. So C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. Okay. Okay. And I'm just going to double check that real quickly. So if you hear the clicking of my Yes, it's C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. I use it for my class websites. Oh, by the way, um, I did 
mentioned to Tony that I set up a, a website. Yeah, let's for get expats. that out there too. Yeah, expats in Japan. Uh, so that there's just a centralized place you can go and it has the number of cases and, it, um, you know, um, information where, you know, consulates and embassies, uh, news sites, uh, information for teachers, which schools are open and closed. Um, and that's through card.co. And that website, I wasn't expecting it, is Japan COVID-19, all lowercase, no spaces, right? So J-A-P-A-N-C-O-V-I-D-19 dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. And you can see that I have a, a website and I spun that whole website up probably in five hours, I think, right? I think I emailed you in the morning and told you by the afternoon it was up, correct? Yep. Yeah. I have some experience in it. Of course, there's a learning curve, but it's pretty simple. And here's the thing. There's been no problems with accessing the website. And you can update it, and the updates are really quick. Like within like 30 seconds, the any changes you make. So it's a really, really good site. It's the easiest site I found for spinning up a website really quickly. It's what I recommend for beginners also. And they have templates and everything. And uh, if anybody um, uses it and needs some help, please just send um, an email you know, to us and I'll get back to you on that. So that's how I'm going to be dealing with it, Tony, is a basic website where the students go with the links because students know how to use a website, YouTube, Google Forms, Line, and Twitter. And here's the thing is it all works on a phone. That's important. Isn't it? I think most of our students are going to be using their phone. Yes, yes. Uh, if if it's at all possible, they're going to default to the phone. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of students don't have computers. And you have to, yeah. So just think when you're when you're putting together some kind of alternate teaching arrangement or any kind of communication, assume that they're going to be on the phone. Yes, and there's another thing to assume, which is a lot of students are living away from home. They have data plans that have limited data right 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 you start using something like zoom with video Oof. you're you, you know yep. eating a lot of data yep. right yep but youtube line twitter a website google forms a lot less data usage very lightweight very good yeah exactly and i think that's another thing that has to be really um, no, um, kept in mind for people is that um the in terms of our responsibility, our shared responsibility in dealing with this is keeping the bandwidth open for as many people as possible. You're going to, people are going to start using these really heavy usage um, apps and systems and things are going to start. Yeah, it's going to really tax the system. It's really going to and burden it. I think that, simple yeah. is better, right? For a every, way, website, every, every way, yeah. Yes, yeah. So that's how we're how I'm coming at it. It's best for resources, is, best for the teachers, best for the students. Simple, right? And our sanity, just for sanity and simplicity. Right. And the fact is that I'll just lower expectations. So you for any, to. let's say, oral communication class, I'll ask students to make videos. For example, how would you handle an oral communication class? Well, you could use something like Zoom, and they could be talking to each other, but you have no where, where really way to monitor it, right? So it strikes me that what I'll do is I'll have students upload, let's say, a one or two minute talk using YouTube, link to it on the website, and then students 
listen, and then they upload their own replies, responses, and we get like these little delayed conversations in time. That's, I think, one of the best ways, and it limits the amount of bandwidth issues, don't you think? Yep, yep. So I'm really pushing the simple solution. I know that I work with some people, let's say, at this one school that's been really good and is giving us access to Zoom, and they have Moodle, um, and, you know, he was saying that, you know, he doesn't even know where to start. So you're going to have to learn how to use the technology and then adapt your curriculum, your syllabus to online teaching in three weeks. For, let's say, most people teach, what, about 15 classes, you think, a week? That's a good average. Yeah. So think about that. You have three weeks to turn all your classes the first three or four weeks into online classes, right? Hmm. I think simple is best. <laughs> There's no option. You have to you have to go for simplicity. What do you think? What would you be doing? Um. Well, again, I, I, I've when we've talked about it before. Um. I get like two sentences and I just throw up my hands. I, on Thursday, I teach 160 students. It's not yeah. a lecture. It's an oral communication class. This is, Four of them. Like, right. oh, yeah. I'm going to look at 160 YouTube accounts. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Right. <laughs> so, um, no, for me, it's a non-starter. Um, for that particular class, it's, it's, it's not just oral communication. It's, it is um, a four skills type class. I just actually, in the course of this podcast, um, decided that, okay, usually begin with, because um, we've got to do a, again, we talked about, you know, mandated goals. Um, there's the discussion component. There's also presentation component. There's a, a writing component. I'm going to begin with the writing and then go to the presentations and then go to the hope. I, I assume that maybe by July we'll have regular classes, um, discussion type classes. So anyway, those, those would be lectures, but I did have, a, um, a whole, we're running a little bit long, no, no surprise. Um, a lot of just hodgepodge of ideas. Um, not really with the tools, but before we get uh, say goodbye to the tools, um, I want to uh, echo something that you said um, earlier in the week. Um, that the that one of the big fears is that okay, with this you know some schools with this mandate to move toward online teaching, um, with which we already talked about, like a lot of these tools, not really well, not really ready for prime time. I mean, they 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 function, they work, kind of. It requires patience. It requires expertise, it, and it requires testing and practice. And those are things that most of us just don't have right now. And and patience. And yeah, patience. And the fear is that yeah, this this tool immaturity is going to just turn off new users, and they're never going to use online tools again. It's like because this experience is going to be so bad that they never come back. Um, and that's too bad because. You know, ma- terrible times, magic times. A lot of these tools are out there and um, are going to get better, um, and uh, be some magical things happening. Just the right way and the right, <laughs> the right, yeah, the right way to do it. And this isn't the right way to do it. Mm. But I have a yeah. lot. Of, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I completely agree with you. I think that oh, there's going to be a lot of bad experiences here. And people are going to be disappointed. And I think, you know, there seems to everybody says, oh, this is the turning point for online education. And I think 
it's what you said. I think people are going to experience it and kind of go, no, nah, I'm not going to do this again. Yep. It'll turn, and especially because it's being introduced under such a stressful It's going to turn people of off. It's going to turn people off to online education. It's going to turn people off to education. It's going to turn people off to English. It's going to turn, turn students off to their teachers. Everyone's going to come yeah. away with a bad experience here. And it's especially going to turn students off to this. Right. Yeah. You know, I can't talk to my friends. Yeah. I can't sleep in class anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? Okay. So okay, I got a bunch of crazy ideas, right? So, so um, yeah, just like an odd list and it's all the kind of things mixed together. Um, in, your, in classes, assume that you have regular classes. Um, <laughs> encourage your students to stay home. <laughs> anything that they feel that they're sick, not well, so anything at all wrong, stay home, stay home, stay home, no penalties. <laughs> Stop taking attendance if you need to. Encourage students to stay home. Um, stupid, but remind students the basics, hand washing, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if the school has, I mean, some of them might have disinfectants available for you to have in class, have it there, use it. Um, you've talked about it. I've, I've mentioned it. Um, I have here in my notes, minimize, no, eliminate the use of paper. Students, uh, passing paper to each other up in front of the class. No, <laughs> stop the use of paper. Um, I, I, I use paper like in other classes, I, I've already found ways to just do without it. Um, and of course, pens, chalk, whatever it might be. Um, one of the ideas that I had for a school that um, had been planning on starting on time, they've since changed, um, was to tell my students, and this is, this is an oral communication class, to split the class in half. And on any given week, only half of you come to class. The other half of you stay in your dorm, stay at home, be available for some kind of online communication. So you have a partner in class, you've got a partner at home, you guys talk. Um, you provide a either written or oral recorded, uh, summary of the discussion that you had after, after the discussion, boom, um, that student classes that aren't necessarily oral in orientation, um, like for example, writing classes have students make eBooks to be shared, put online, commented on, um, I haven't found the ideal form for that because I don't have a use for it, but because I don't have a writing class with that kind of flexibility. But yeah, have the student write a book, have them write a story, um, a, a journal, a report, um, have it available online, have other students read it, comment on it, share comments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, presentation classes, okay, fine. You have a remote student group presentation, like with, for example, Zoom, or for example, with Skype, you can have multiple users and uh uh, just submit a, vid, a, a you know a recording of your video presentation um curation projects uh where students you know again you have a little bit more advanced students to a little bit of research um present their summaries either written or video you said like on youtube um they have this available to the rest of the class the rest of the class watches the video or, or reads what they've written um reads it, maybe references their original sources gives their feedback Teacher looks at it and scores it after the fact. Um, with things like <clears throat> Zoom or, for example, YouTube, or just on their own phones, right? Just thinking you know, with quick time on the computer or just like uh, on the phone video recording. Um, oral histories, um, reports, stories, 
that they post online. Again, YouTube would be ideal. Um, students then, other students in the class watch, comment. Um, you know, they might have to, ha- you have to like look at five students, uh, presentations or histories, reports, whatever it might be, uh, react and share. Um, if you've got a small class and if you've got a campus that's conducive to it, have your class outside. A little fresh air, a little distance. Um, if you can, you can pull that off. Why not get out of that tight little cramped classroom? Because I know one of my class, one of my schools. I know what I've got. It's I've got, I got a class with thirty kids with thirty desks in the class, and we're all right on top of each other. Ah. Anyway, so anyway, mm. that's my list. <clears throat> Your list is very similar to mine. A mm. uh, little bit, some slight differences. Um, but the first thing is, is I would tell students that everything's available online. Right. If I'm going, if you have to teach, right. If you have to go in, just get a video camera, or get a little tripod with your phone, set it up, and you'll have minimal quality. It doesn't have to be perfect audio. Students who don't attend, they can watch what goes on. Put your materials up on the simple website, etc. But I would, if I have to teach, and it's required to teach, let's say I have to start somewhere, um, I'd have to say first off. Um, I would divide the class in half, either the same way you did, which is every other week. Right. Or I would divide it into 40-minute segments. Okay. Have half the students come in for the first 40 minutes, right? And the other students are working on an assignment or prepping or watching what's going on, and then send the students out and then have the other ones come in. So, for example, I have a, a class with 40 students, let's say, and let's say the room is able to seat um a hundred, if I cut that down to 20, I have, you know, a lot of space between students. Right, right, right. But here's the thing. You're not having students talking to each other. Right? Yep. So this is a really good time to get students to practice enunciation (laughs) and articulation and pronunciation and being loud and clear. So I think that's the first thing. You do. Um, if the school requires you to go in, um, here's I, I, uh, what I'm going to do. With the, and my wife said I can't do this, but I'm going to do this. I was watching television, and they were showing how there's a thing for Yochian students, kindergarten students. You put a stamp on their hand, mm. and um, it takes really good hand washing for the stamp to come <laughs> off. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, where yeah, I'm going with this it. one, right? Got it. I am going to stand outside of my classes. I'm going to stamp every student's hand. Except and say, as you're stamping your them, you're, you're, you're infecting everybody else in the class if it's the first kid. But they're going to wash their hands. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, the, okay, now you've really got an incentive, right? But you understand what yes, I'm, I do. Um, I do. I, 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 but, you know, it's funny. The students for years have um, always thought that I'm insane because if a student sneezes, in, you know, into, their, it sneezes into their hands, Ugh. I point to the door. And I say, go wash your hands with soap. I ask students if they've washed their hands before they've come to class. They all think I'm insane. Mm. And now I get to say, told you so. Mm. Okay. So I think what's really, really important is making sure the students wash their hands because they're irresponsible yep, that way. Yep, yep. It's just young people. It's just the way they are. You got to make sure they wash their hands before and after class because a lot of schools will not be able to afford having alcohol. Right, right. Okay. Very few, I would um, imagine. Right. Um, students will be wearing masks. A lot of them will be wearing masks as they wore three days ago uh-huh. or three straight days, yeah. which means that the masks are no longer effective. Yeah. 
So you have to be careful about that. You got to have windows open, doors open completely. All right. You do not go near the students, right? That's just, you know, for your own safety. Okay. Because a lot of us are above 40, 50, you know, 60, you're getting into some risk areas here. Uh, and uh, the other thing is to really emphasize to students, if you have a runny nose, you don't come to class. If you have a cough, you don't, don't come, come to, class. to class. Right. Do not come to class. Do not come to class. Um, you know, my, my daughter bought one of those uh, laser temperature things, you know, for uh, cooking. Uh. I think I'm going to use that on my students, too. <laughs> you know, that's another thing you might want to consider, mm-hmm. right? Is how much is your health worth? Is it worth, you know, buying one of those, uh, you know, temperature well, one things, one of the observations right? that I made several weeks ago, again, it does, it, <laughs> things change so quickly, but it was like, yeah, several weeks ago. I think it was probably 10 days. Um, the the stat that was floating around again this is pre-olympic announcement um that um in japan they were only in terms of the testing they were only testing at one sixth their capacity right it's like well you know you've got all these young people coming into the why not make this testing part of their orientation <laughs> this is like they could you can like knock it out right away. It's like if you test every student beginning school in, in the in spring, um, you have a really good picture. There we go, and then you and you can isolate them and prevent the spread. It's like man, that's a very good idea. What the hell? Oh, okay, well, it's idea. too late now. Okay, right. <laughs> okay. So my guess is is that again, I'm I'm I'll go out on a limb here, and I will say that classes will not be starting in May. It's, we're going to be really, really peaking at that point in time, and Japan will be in lockdown at that point, I think. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope so, you're wrong, too. Similar things to you. Um, you know, stagger your classes, okay? Um, and th- the idea that schools have that you will be able to follow all the rules, all the grading principles, they're going to say that. I just think a lot of things are going to be really difficult. Um, I, I, teachers, specifically ahead, with that, there's like just because I, I that's on my list of the other places things, uh, things that or other places are doing. Um, University of North Carolina for the for the semester, all classes are pass fail, mm. and um, uh, the traditional incomplete grade is different. It's they change it to something else, C something, um, with an extended timeline for completion. So a very upfront, realistic look is like, yeah, this is things are not going to be normal. This, this not is, going uh, to it's, happen it's, here. It's not, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be weird. It's going to be pass fail. So okay, yeah. yes. And at this point, I think that um, you know I'm looking at a very simplified grading system. I would suggest that participation scores can no longer be included. That makes sense. You're going to actually be grading mainly on written work. Yep. Okay. Uh, something like Socrative, we'll put a link on for that, that actually has built in grading for multiple really, choice really, questions. Really useful. Really a good one. It's really say. useful. It's pretty easy to use. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it even allows you to use upload from a uh, spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. Yep. Um, you can do grading, automatic automated grading with Google Forms. It just takes a little bit more. And I haven't checked Microsoft Forms yet for that, but I think it's also possible. Okay. But those are some of the things to do. The other thing is to be very clear with your school. If they're asking you to come in and I'm 
wondering how I'm going to handle this because I want to say, look, if I were 35 years old when I was really, really super healthy and I think my immune system was really good, I would take the chance. But, um, you know, there's a mask shortage in the country now. Sure. Um, you know, I know a lot of students aren't washing their hands. You're actually asking mm-hmm. me to go into a, a, you know, a situation that a is dangerous not environment. Optimal. It's a dangerous environment. So be very, very clear um, and explain to the school that, you, you know, what your concerns are. And, you know, if you really feel the need, put it in writing. Then they have to respond to that because I think that there has been no differentiation between teachers in terms of their age groups. For example, in an ideal situation, I would cancel the semester until October. Okay, not going to happen. The semester has to go on. All of it is online. Okay, probably not going to happen. You're going to have to go in. Okay, well, if you're over 60, you get to teach online. If you're over 50, please try to teach online. If you're under if you know if you're under 50 and you feel like you're in good health you have no underlying health conditions then if you want please come in that would be a sensible way to go about it i think but um you know a lot of my students i've i've watched them they don't know, you know they just don't have a lot of habits you know that are related to cleanliness and you know that will be helpful in this situation so Get rid of paper is really important. You should absolutely be not getting anything in paper from anybody. If you feel the need to grade papers, then one of the easiest things to do is to use, again, Google Forms and just create a big box for them to type in their answer. Or you can have email and have them email to you the the homework or send it as an attachment, right? Microsoft Doc attachment gets attached to the file. Uh, if you don't want to use your own addresses, open up a, um, a Gmail account, simple Gmail and, account. And uh, just really a, quickly, right there. So please. with a Gmail account, is so easy to, to, to make, um, make it easy for yourself. Make a different Gmail in uh, a mail account for each school or each class. So when the, the work starts coming in from multiple students, it's all separated out for you. Or you can you can work the with plus, the filters, right? The filters. Yeah, the plus trick. <laughs> but that's a little bit more complicated for you, for the students. Um if you don't have that many, just have separate accounts for each school or each class. It takes five minutes to um, set up a Google Gmail account, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Tony Monday first. Oh, so Tony, right. Tony M one, Tony M two, Tony M three. Exactly. And this is how I would do it. This is how I would do it. I would set it up as um, you know your classes as Monday one M one M two M three M four is the simplest way and T one T two T H one T H two etc. Right? right. So mine would be Charles with you know Charles with or T one Charles with T two Charles with T three Charles like that right? like that right exactly it's the easiest way to go about it use the Gmail um, for that um, set up a line group again for the class. But a lot of this to get the information out to the students, I think, is um, you're going to need the school to inform students somehow that you have this contact information. And that, I think, is going to be an interesting thing to see how the schools deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, go simple as much as possible. Um, As I said, some of the schools are saying, please use their LMS system. If they're asking you to use their learning 
management systems, you need to start as soon as possible and only use the simple functions. Yes, because it's not going to be simple to use at all. It's going to be a real task for you. Well, I don't use the school, you know, one of the schools um, where I work, I don't use their LMS because I don't even like the interface. Ditto, same. It's it's easier for me just to set up a website. Yeah, I set my own, I'll do it myself. Right, right, right. And there's so many online tutorials about how to set up a website, how to use all these different services. That might be the way to go. And then what you can do is um, the people who send you the email about your classes and your syllabus, right? You can email them with the links to your classes, websites, or email addresses, and that will take care of it. Or if you really want to get technical, make a make a barcode <laughs> or a QR, QR code. code. Yeah, a QR code for your class, so the students just have to aim their cameras and then they go because there will be a lot of errors in typing. Make sure it's uh-huh. it's a clickable. Uh-huh. Make sure it's a clickable link. And if you don't know how to make clickable links, I would suggest that that might be the first thing you look into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you send clickable links to people in an email? Right. So those are, I think, the basic suggestions. Stay simple. I would suggest, again, here's my review or summary. Use Line, Twitter, Skype, YouTube, and Google Forms. And if you want, when you're talking, Otter AI. So you can have a transcript of your talking. I'd add Socrative to that list, too. And Socrative, right? Or Google Forms. Those two are interchangeable have different benefits. But I would not necessarily go for one system thing because those systems are hard to learn. Yep. And Moodle is, you know, you know we've talked about Moodle. It's just they, don't, they haven't made a simple thing. When you go to Moodle, a lot of things to figure out, a lot of things to turn on. How do you put up your classes? How do you set up your classes? In a website, you just write week one, da-da-da-da-da, week two, da-da-da-da. It's just writing, right? In Moodle, it's a whole different process, I think. Um, Canvas and all the other things. Yeah. And the other one you said was Parlay, right? Yeah. Yeah. It looked really good. Again, not enough time to learn it properly, but it looked really interesting. I did something I okay. might explore regardless okay. of whatever the near future. Right. Holds. My question would be though, a quick look at it. Was it, are you able to do some simple things with it right off the bat without having to spend a lot of time learning it? I haven't spent that time to know, to be able to answer that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, I'm going to emphasize this point. Make sure that whatever you're doing, the students have familiarity with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Tony, we've gone really long today. Yeah. I got just to wrap up a little bit, a couple of things. Um, one, um, I think it's obvious at this point, take the virus seriously. Yes. <laughs> it goes without saying, but doesn't really go without saying, but I'm going to say it, any, you know, so I say it anyway. Take it seriously. Um Something we haven't talked about at all, but uh, remember, maintain sensitivity to the student's state of mind. I mean, we're all going crazy ourselves, and we're thinking about how hard this is for us right now. But um, a lot of us, um, we teach first-year students. Um, a lot of them are away from home the first time. They're freaked out. Um they may have relatives and family members that are sick or otherwise affected. Um, their their income, uh, their part-time jobs, or their family's income may be impacted. Um, it's, uh, 
just for them, they're beginning university life. There may be away from home for the first time. It's a hard time for them in the best of situations. Uh, in the middle of a crisis, um, be aware that they're going through some stuff <laughs> as well. Um, remember your responsibilities, um, first of all, to yourself. And you talked a lot about your, your health and uh, your family and your students. Um, probably best of all, again, should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. You just got to stay flexible. You know, Charles and I are talking about all these things that seem rational on the morning of uh, March 28th, come April 1st, when this drops, we, no one knows what that world's going to look like. Um, everything that we just said about all our schools and what their plans are, that can be completely different by then. Um, we don't know. Um, Again, Charles, your website, J, uh, Japan COVID-19, J-A-P-A-N-C-O-V-I-D-1-9 dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. Um, <clears throat> yeah, for expats in Japan, a lot of useful information about the, this uh, virus that's changing our world. <clears throat> yeah, with a lot of links to other things, too. Yeah. And, Tony, what you've said about the students is really important and i just want to add one thing which is maybe very much in japan is that going to college is a big transition moment for them yep 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 and that's been taken from them yep and in japan these transitional moments are serious parts of their it, lives it's a huge life-changing point for them and it, it, with it's this, a mark this, it marks is, that point it just changes their entire life i mean it does ordinarily but this <laughs> right now um well it's gonna the impact is gonna be um felt not only to them individually but to the country and society for, for the next right. 50 years it's it's, and, it's hard to understate yes it's hard to understate, and i really sorry. yes and I th it's easy to understand. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you got it. And your point about being sensitive to their needs, because it's very easy. Like, you know, for me, I'm just co so concerned about my family. And, you know, my daughter is going through this. Mm. She's finishing up high school and her college application and going to college now is up in the air in the United States. And, you know, I check in with her. Simplify things, again, is one of the nicest things you can do to students. Um, when you, for example, um, I know we, we said we'd wind up, but this is um, when you talked about doing things for students. When you are putting your directions up, even more than usual, simplify the directions. Use as simple English as possible. Use bullet points. Um, if something's important and you put it on in an email or a website, if it's possible, put it in red. Put it in bigger um, font. Make easify things as much as possible for the students so that they can do things more easily and be flexible as much as possible. And I think the, the biggest solution is that there's going to be a lot of reading assignments, watching video and responding and replying. And even if you have an oral communication class, you're still getting them to learn something. And those substitutions, I think, would be accepted by most institutions, I think, you know, so. Just try to make life as easy for them. Because remember, we're teaching a lot of freshman kids. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. and, you know, I get, I get the students on like Monday, usually their first no, class nice. of the year, right? Nice, nice, nice. You know, but, and this year I won't have that. Yeah. And it takes me, what, what, Tony, we've talked about this, right? It takes about five weeks to train your students, yeah. right? 
you're not going to have that. So you have to go simple, easy, clear, and Grammarly, by the way. Run your stuff through Grammarly. Run any directions, explanations through the free Grammarly um, and something like Hemingway app. Hemingway app is very, very yeah, good I forgot for about simplifying that. Yeah. things. Yes, like you're for writing, so you're, writing, you're writing things for students, run it through Hemingway. It'll really help you simplify what you're trying to say. Right. And it'll, you know, it helps you get the reading level down and, you know, the goal of like fifth grade, for example which is really good and readable for everybody. So those are the tools that use. And uh, I think right now that's enough. And I think everything's going to change in the next two days. Yeah. Yeah. Just the kindness, kindness uh, to your students and, um, you know, kindness to yourself. And uh, as I say, cut them some slack, um, cut yourself slack. Um, Again, these are crazy times. And as hard as it might be an anti-intuitive, some slack, you also, you know, cut your administrator some slack. Yeah, by the way. Um, I mean, them too. I mean, mine, it, it's, it's not easy time for them either. Yeah. Well, a colleague of mine really made that clear to me where um, she said that she'd gone into school and she said it was obvious that you were looking at people who'd been working 14, 16 hour sure. days sure. for weeks and weeks to make sure that things could be figured out. So I want to, you know, on on behalf of, you know, myself and other teachers and other students, really, thank you to those administrative people who have really been, you know, working so hard to, you know, allow us to be in healthy situations. Yeah, yeah. They're dealing with all the yeah. same things that we are. Real deep bow here. Well, and they're they're going into offices every day. They're not working from home, Correct. right? Correct. They're actually putting themselves at risk, too. So a lot of real big thank you to those people. Um, I'm re- I feel very indebted to them, and I really appreciate my colleague, you know, Narita, for uh, pointing out that you know this is what these people are going through. So thanks, Narita, for that one. Here, Here we listen. are. She doesn't. She doesn't listen. Okay, let's call it a wrap. Wrap it. Okay, Tony, be well. Okay, two teachers talking everywhere. Yeah, that's everywhere. Okay. Okay. See you. Okay. Bye.